You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, again, I want to say that, as I made mention last week, uh, that uh, Pastor Capace is, is, is away on a vacation with his family, and we're grateful they're having that time away. And so he has been in the middle of a sermon series for four weeks, a four-week series that is called When God Shows Up. And so there is a common knowledge at Gospel Light. Over the last several months, there has been a very known uh, awakening of reviving that God is doing in the congregation. There's been a number of testimonies and some of the conversations that have been shared. And so Pastor Capace, led by God's Spirit, really sensed the need to respond uh, to what God is doing in our midst. So he has been preaching a series called When God Shows Up, about experiencing God's power and His presence in our life in a greater way. And so we're thankful for that series. And so I am preaching as a compliment, a supplement to that series right here in the middle of it. He'll be returning by this next Sunday, continuing that series. And so last week, uh, one of the areas that we got into was the area of what Jesus teaches about fasting. And so I have just set aside this time for these couple of weeks to want to preach and teach what Jesus gives us command and, and, and wisdom on in the area of fasting and the area of prayer. These are two disciplines that are needed in the Christian life as we are going to continue to experience God's power and reviving in our life. And so last Sunday, we determined not to leave the worship service without giving fasting, according to Scripture, its biblical place rightful place in our walk with Jesus. And I pray that since last Sunday until now, that any of us have had a chance to really seek the Lord in a time of fasting and really come near Him to put that Scripture into practice. Today, we're going to do the same thing. We don't want to leave this worship service without looking at the same side or a different side of the same coin, and that is the area of what Jesus teaches us about prayer. In our prayer lives, what Jesus brings to our attention. Now, it's not necessarily that we're going to tell us that we need to pray, because we already know that. This is not a message that's telling us to do something we already know. But this is really going to be a direction in the text for us to dive into what Jesus is teaching and be able to examine in a very real, sincere way, examine the quality of our own personal prayer life with Christ. It's not a question of whether we pray, because the answer for all of us is probably a strong yes. But it's a question as to, what is the quality of my prayer life with God? It's not that I don't pray, but what is it like when I pray? What would constitute and make up the DNA of my prayer life? How is it exactly that I am praying and spending time with God in prayer. These are things that we want to get into, but what I want to do with that is not abandon where we were last Sunday. Let's go ahead and connect the two together with prayer and fasting. And I want to say this about that. Essentially, we cannot separate prayer from fasting. Fasting is to prayer what oxygen is to the lungs. When we pray, there should be fasting. Certainly, there's nothing, no question about it. And when we fast, There should be times of which we are praying. The old 19th century Puritan preacher by the name of William Secker, 
He made a statement about that, and here's what he said. He said, by fasting, the body learns to obey the soul. But by praying, the soul learns to command the body. There is a, there is a balance. Fasting and prayer restores the joy of salvation. It's a biblical way that we can truly humble ourselves to God. It allows the Holy Spirit of God to unveil and to heal any broken fellowship between us and Jesus. I love the way Donald Whitney put it too. He said, there's something about fasting that sharpens the edge of our intercessions. And it gives passions to our, pray- our supplications. Fasting does not change God's hearing so much as it changes our praying. When we go before the Lord and we fast and then we pray, while that dynamic is balanced between the two, we find ourselves hungering and thirsting for Christ in a very fresh and real way. Suddenly our prayer life is intensifying. It, it's growing more in that maturity and we're really connecting with the heart of God. It starts to change us in our praying in many ways. Sometimes our prayer lives actually really need to change. Kind of like the seven-year-old little boy that one day was sent to his room for bad behavior from his mom. And after some time passed, he came out of his room to his mom, and he said, Mama, I've been thinking about what I did, and so I said a prayer. And mom got excited, and she smiled. Her boy's only seven years old, and he's starting to get these concepts. And she started to think, well, that's great. I'm so proud of you. You know, if you will ask God for help, he'll help you behave. And he had this look on his face, and he said, Mom, when I prayed, I didn't necessarily ask God for help to help me behave. I just asked God to help you put up with me. <laughs> That's not, that's not it. Kids, don't get any ideas, okay? That's not it. That's not the right way. There's a right way to pray, and that's where we're going to go today when we get into the text. But really what it comes down to is a question that we would say is worthy of an answer. And the question would be this, between you and Christ, how are things going in prayer? How is the prayer life right now? Today, I just want to tell you, let's just go ahead and give Jesus the answer that he needs to know. He needs to know that we know. Does, does, does our prayer life actually need a change? It, may, it very well may be that for some of us, we may have to sit here and just say, you know, my prayer life is really on the floor. I mean, my prayer life is not where it needs to be. My prayer life, maybe for some, might be that your prayer life is going awesome, that you and Christ are connecting. You're putting these truths in practice. I'd say, hallelujah, keep that up. Jesus wants us to connect with the Father in prayer in that way. But for some of us, if it's possible that we say, my prayer life needs changing, it needs reviving, here's one way we can at least answer the question and find out if it's it's true or not. It is the area of busyness. Busyness. We as a modern American church in the 21st century have become immersed in such fast-paced lifestyles. There's no question that it's very easy to find every, anyone who's busy. It's very hard to find anyone who's not busy. It seems to be busyness is much a part of the fabric of how we have adapted our lives to be. But the irony in this is this. From centuries past, people have always been busy because people have always had something to do. Culture and time may have changed a lot of things, but people are people. And what it comes down to is recognizing that the irony is really, the issue is not the pace of life. The challenge is guarding solitude with God. 
regardless of that pace. It's really recognizing that I can't live in the power of Christ apart from Him helping me and going to Him in prayer and connecting with God in that way. It's very easy to glance at the prayer closet on the run. But it's much harder to slow down and walk through the door and sit at the feet of Jesus. But we've got to come to a point of just recognizing that if this sounds all too familiar by chance for any one of us today, then it's time to make a change. It's not time to talk about it or point to it and put it on a shelf and say maybe sometime. It's actually time to do something about it now. Because this is the only day we've got. Amen? I'm not promised tomorrow. I'm given what I've got. And so what we have in this moment is saying, okay, if there is a need for a change in my walk with Christ, if my prayer life needs to come back and do a, deeper, a, a better balance, then it would be time to do so and to do whatever is necessary to walk with Jesus in that manner. Kind of like he told Martha in Luke chapter 10 when he said these words to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha were contrasted in the text where Jesus found Mary sitting at his feet even though there were dishes to do, even though there was a house to clean. There was things to be doing while Christ was there, but when he showed up, she wanted to spend time with him. But Martha was more concerned about all the busyness instead of just sitting at Jesus' feet in that moment. The busyness without balance will produce Martha's and not Mary's. And what we got to come down to is just recognizing that, God, you've blessed me in so many ways. I have a job. I have a family. I have friends. I have responsibilities. These things are going to take time. And time is needed as a gift from God to do and do whatever we have to do with those things. Those things are not bad. But guarding that solitude with God, that's where we've got to come back to if we've gotten farther away from the Lord. To where our praying is more in a hurry where our praying is more rehearsed, where our praying is more popcorn prayers, quickly throwing one up because we're in a hurry, we got to go, we got to do this. And we find that several days have gone by before we've had a meaningful closet time of real dialogue with God in prayer. That's when it comes back to saying, okay, God, I can't just be living the Christian life and disconnecting myself from my prayer closet with you. If so, I will be defeated. If so, I will be disconnected. If so, I will be trying to do the power in my own strength like Samson whenever he realized the Philistines were upon him and I'll go out as other time, but he didn't know the Spirit of God had departed from him. Sometimes when we try to do the things that God's given us to do in our own strength, we will fall so short. But yet Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. There's a connection here. We get empowered when we pray. God gives us wisdom when we pray. A revived and an awakened prayer life is accessible to anyone, any of us, no less than it was. Even to that Scottish reformer from the 16th century, his name is John Knox. He demonstrated a vibrant, dynamic prayer life that still goes down in history. As a brother who loved to pray, and God used him in many different ways, and even as his wife lay by his side, sitting at his side as he lay there in his bed, and he's dying, even journaling down what took place that he took his last breath while he was talking with Jesus in prayer. 
using his last breath to call on Jesus' name. Queen Mary of Scotland would later say after John Knox's funeral, I feared the prayers of John Knox more than I ever did an army of 10,000 men. There's something powerful about recognizing what happens when we pray in that manner. And the key for Knox and the key for anyone with a dynamic prayer life that goes before the Lord is this, persistence. The key is just being persistent. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus said this. It says, Jesus spoke a parable unto them, saying, of which he wished men would always pray and not lose heart. The key in being persistent is staying consistent in prayer and not losing heart. But that's what happens because it's very easy when someone's prayer life is suffering and when someone is not really connecting with God in much prayer and they've been doing the Christian life but not really spending time with God in prayer, when that begins to get neglected, what happens is persistence has not been picking up the tab. Persistence has not been staying where it needs to be. This week, Pastor Capace sent me a text message of a devotion that he had read. He knew that we would be in this text today, and he shared this with me just personally to me, just encouraging me as I was studying and preparing for the message, and it has to do with prayer. And I want to give you just a small portion of what he shared with me that was incredible, and here's what it said in his devotion. People who persist in prayer don't lose heart. People who lose heart don't persist in prayer. Praying is meant to keep you believing when your reasons for believing are hard to see anymore. Praying keeps you focused even when the option of fretting or fixing the problem yourself seems a more promising alternative. Praying keeps you caring when your natural inclination is to concede defeat and to move on to something else. In other words, if you and I would keep praying, we would not lose heart. Whenever our prayer lives began to go shallow and they began to slowly fade a little bit, and that, and that revival sense of connection with God is beginning to waver. we got to go back and remember that that persistence is where the key is. Praying to pray is not what it's about. Praying and believing. Praying with sincerity. Praying with in, in fervency. Going before the Lord that even when there is an issue, we keep on praying. Even when there's not an answer, we keep on praying. Even when we don't understand, we keep on praying. God is glorified. As Jesus told the parable, because he knew how easy it is to lose heart and lose stamina in the prayer closet. He knows what that's like, and that's why he gave us those understandings. Our relationship with Jesus will really only be as healthy as our fellowship and prayer with Jesus actually is. And it very well may be today that for any of us that are find ourselves stuck in a pitiful prayer life that maybe has been knocked out of balance from busyness, And it may be that this is not where you want to be. It's not where I want to be. But it may be where we are. It very well may be that we just know that we know that our our prayer life maybe is just not where it maybe has been before. And we really need to reconnect and stir back up again that deep abiding fellowship with Jesus that we want him in prayer, not just what he can hand out, but we want him for who he is. That's what we're about. If there's any of us out of balance in this way, I want to encourage you. I I just wish I could just take you along right now and just say, come on, let's go. Let's go back to the prayer closet together. Let's not condemn ourselves and knock ourselves down like Pastor Craig said. We're not looking at the past anymore. We're saying, Jesus, this is where you are. 
this is where you invite me to. So we're not going to listen to the lies of Satan. Instead, we're going to listen to the truth of the Word of God. And we want to know what he says and what he's calling and summoning us to. How Jesus would love to have us find ourselves back again in that time of prayer if any of us have faded in that area. Let's go back to that Galilean mountainside we were at last week in Matthew 6. And let's be reminded of this together, that although Jesus' audience understood the expectation of prayer, they were missing the purpose behind prayer because of the Pharisees. The Pharisees messed this up. All those people in Galilee had been immersed into the lifestyle of the Pharisees and the scribes. And they had, they had distorted the law of Moses. And they added things to it that weren't supposed to be there. And they forced this upon the people. One of the things that that introduced was it messed up and infected what a prayer life needs to look like for, that, for that, those people. They reduced prayer from private to moments with God to a display of public righteousness, self-righteousness. Praying in public is fine. Praying in public is good. But if we're not praying in private, then praying in public would look more self-righteous. This is why Jesus shows up to correct the deception and to help this audience in Galilee to return back to their prayer closet instead of going back to a show. They're not there for the show. They're not there for making it all like that. They just want to go back to what Jesus is trying to teach. So in his sermon, Jesus makes the statement, when you pray. And when he goes into that, his audience was virtually born into prayer lives already. The crowd in Matthew 6 that was hearing Jesus teach on this was very familiar with prayer, much like you and I are today. They didn't need to be told to pray. They were very used to praying. In fact, we even know back in that culture, since they were little kids, they were known to quote the Deuteronomy 6 Shema. They would quote it as a Jewish prayer in morning and night times. They would pray often three times a day as Daniel was found praying three times in the day before he was thrown into the lion's den. That was very normal. They, they gave thanks to God for the meals. They prayed before the meal, and many of them would pray even after the meal. They were used to prayer. Scholars estimate about three or four hours a day was not uncommon for a Jewish person praying in that time. Yet we find them telling Jesus this statement in Luke 11, verse 1. Lord, teach us to pray. What? Lord, teach us to pray. Now this is coming from the people who already pray a lot. Why would they say that? Think about this for a moment. Let, let's think about it. These are the same people that have seen Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes, set captives free, deliver people and cast out demons, and they're not asking Jesus to teach them how to perform the miracles of the spectacular. Instead, they say, teach us to pray. What would make that their request over all the things that they could be doing? They were just captivated by Christ. And they wanted nothing more than to pray like he did to the Father. That's what they were after. Teach us to pray, Jesus. Ken Hemphill in his book, The Prayer of Jesus, made this statement. He said, somehow from observing Jesus, they knew that prayer was the key that gave Jesus the strength to do all the other miraculous things that he did. Jesus knew a level of intimacy with his heavenly Father that transformed into raw, living, breathing power. He knew what prayer was, and his prayer connected 
If these men needed help with prayer, then I do too. They were dying to know what prayer was all about. They craved to experience the intimate communion that Jesus had with God. They saw it in his eyes. They just had to know. So Jesus told them, and his answer is the Lord's Prayer that we're going to find here in Matthew 6. Where we are in this moment is that there are three truths that Christ teaches us to help us biblically balance a dynamic prayer life in our walk with Jesus. That's where we are. So in this moment, it would be right between you and I and God, as we are just here in his presence with his word open before us, that we just go ahead and examine our prayer life in the manner that it's presented to us in the text. Not in the way that we think is okay, but whatever we think, let's see if make sure that's in agreement with what God says, because what he says is what matters most. So let our prayer lives come into this filter. Let's filter who we are in prayer right here through the scriptures and see what God brings to our attention. The first thing that I want to share with you about this, as you look in Matthew 6, what we want to do first of all is there is something that we need to decide. What we need to decide begins with running away from formulated spirituality because it is very, very shallow. Look in your Bible at verse 5, and let's read the text here together. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5. And here's what Jesus says. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, he says, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Look at verse 7. We'll come back to verse 6. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. If we give focus to what Jesus is bringing to our attention here, what we find ourselves understanding is that there, there, this is what we need to decide. Prayer many times can become a very monotonous, insincere, kind of a robotic, rehearsed jargon that we begin to bring to God. We can sometimes fall into, and I'm not saying anybody has now, but if we have, this is how it happens. The Pharisees were being hypocritical because they loved to be seen by men. Their praying in public was not the problem. It's that they loved to be seen praying. Jesus was not, he was saying, that's not acceptable. And then he says, do not be like the heathen who think they can pray so much in vain repetition that they're going to be heard for their many words. Sometimes in our prayer lives, that's what can begin to happen. We can find ourselves beginning to pray because we only know it's the right thing to do. Not because there's an overwhelming desire as much as there is just saying a Christian vocabulary of words that we've learned and heard and think this is what praying is. We can look at it as a facade and it becomes some kind of blanket effect. Jesus is telling us to look at the scribes and Pharisees. He says, learn from them. Do not be like that. So what we want to say is that we want to run away from formulated spirituality. We don't want our prayer to God to be something that we rehearsed, something that's formed, Something that's, that's less than organic and authentic. It needs to be a connection with Christ in that manner. And that's why Jesus brings this up to us. 
Hannah Moore made a statement years ago. She said, prayer is not eloquence, but earnestness. Not figures of speech, but earnestness of soul. When you and I go before the Lord God in that earnestness, that's what brings us to where we need to be here. And if you go back to verse 6, look what he says here. He says, but will you, when you pray, go into your room. Notice how it's not a synagogue or a street corner. Go to your room privately, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The key for you and I of what we got to decide is we got to decide, hey, if my prayer life is suffering, and if there's a chance that I'm not connecting with Christ because it's more robotic, it's more when I pray, it's more just kind of like I know I'm burdened and I need to pray, we show up to the prayer closet instead and say, I'm running away from that, and I'm going to run and instead return to private pursuit that is going to be sincere. That's where we want to be, and that's where Jesus is bringing us to here in the text. He wants to bring us back to that. So it's not a question of whether we pray. The question is, are we going to the Lord God in prayer in the manner that he is prescribing here? It's calling us to the prayer closet. The prayer closet may or may not be a physical room. A prayer closet brings attention to aloneness with God. It may be in a tree in your backyard. You may sit up under a tree in your backyard. It may be at a city park. It may be in your vehicle. Wherever we pray in those moments of solitude with God is irrelevant for location. But what matters is the text speaks. Get alone with God. Get alone with him, spend that time with him, and, and relish his presence in that way. In Psalm 63, the Bible says, the psalmist said, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in your sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's where we want to be. We want to be able to show up, and sometimes we put pressure on ourselves because we think we got to say all this stuff. Jesus just told us in the text, the heathen thinks they'll be heard for their many words. It's not the volume of the words. It's not coming up with the right words. It is the heart that can say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom from a cross. And he tells you in that short little sentence, you'll be with me in paradise. It's the, it's the tax collector saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, as he beats his chest. It's not about how much we have to say as much as it is that we are willing to get alone with God and speak as the Lord gives utterance and to listen when he does it. Amen? Just to be still and know that God is God and to seek him in that kind of manner. Even in the 17th chapter of John's gospel, it is the entire chapter is the prayer of Jesus. If you read John 17, the whole 26 verses of the chapter is just Jesus praying. It's amazing. Three verses of the 26 are prayer requests. 23 of the 26 verses are relational fellowship with God in prayer. Nearly 90% of the entire prayer of Jesus in John 17 is not giving God a wish list and a bunch of requests, but instead coming to God and just wanting to connect with him in fellowship and in, and in who he is, not for just what he can do. 
It seems to be that where we go in this is that what we want to do is we want to decide, okay, if my prayer life has been more governed and dominated by just a rehearsed robotic spirituality, but I'm really missing the heart of God, really wanting to connect with him, I run from that. And I return back to private pursuit, seeking him for who he is. Edwin Keith said it this way, prayer is exhaling the spirit of man and inhaling the spirit of God. I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it, Jillian shared this with me recently. When I've been asked, what's more important, praying or reading my Bible? Charles Spurgeon would be noted to say, well, then I would ask, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? (laughs) Amen. And you and I can look at it in the same way. That's where we are today. Lord Jesus, I come and we want to come with nothing more than just to be in his presence for that manner. Privately pursuing him. Not praying on the run, but praying in the closet. Praying in that alone time. Slowing down. Listening to what the Lord has. And Jesus would even say in the text as well, look at verse 8 in your Bible. He would say, therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Wow. Let's go ahead and call this what it is. Again, take the text. Jesus is about to launch into the Lord's Prayer. He's prefacing everything He's about to say with verses 5 through 8. He's showing us in 5 through 8 the manner of how not to pray and why we pray in this way that He's about to introduce. But He says... Your Father in heaven knows the things you have need of before you ask. I believe wholeheartedly that the context here that's drawing attention is this. Let's just say it, okay? Let's just say it right now. How many of you would agree that it is very easy, that it is our default mode nature to come to to God in prayer because of something we need? Is this possible? How many of you would say yes or no? I believe wholeheartedly when Jesus is bringing this into our attention, think about the text, think about the context that we're about to go in. The biggest picture is this. Jesus knows that when we go before the Father as sheep, it is very easy to be so selfish. It's very easy to be self-centered and self-absorbed. It's very easy to just think about only what we want, what we need. God, I need your help. And Jesus is basically saying in this purse, hey, when you show up, I already know what you need before you can ask. It's like he's also, he's like, it's, like, it's like Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that if you will just know, I've got it taken care of. If you'll just know before you can bring it to my attention, I already know what it is. If you could just know to trust me, I am your good shepherd, you shall not want. I will meet the needs that I know are going to help you. So now just come to me and let's talk. The biggest picture that you and I sometimes have got to get past is recognizing that prayer in this manner that Jesus is bringing us to is that because he has the needs that we have already met, before we can ask, it brings us to attention that what we got to decide is to remember God's provision when we pray. Our hearts then become full of gratitude, full of of thanksgiving. We come before his presence in that manner. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is where it's at. This is what becomes of a prayer life that is balanced and going in the right direction with Jesus. It's because the praying 
It's more so out of realizing that, man, as I show up, I don't have to come up with some kind of vocabulary and eloquence to Jesus. I don't need to try to rehearse what I'm going to say. I can come to him privately pursuing him that I can just touch the hem of his garment because I don't have anything else to ask or to give. I just come to him like I am. I come to him dependent. I come to him not figuring life out. I come to him needing wisdom. I come because he's the answer. He doesn't just have the answer. He is the answer. I come because of who he is. And in that private pursuit, we are there at the throne of God, worshiping him. And what we are running away from, what we are getting away from, is we make a decision to say, I'm not going to reduce prayer to formulated spirituality. I want prayer in my life to be defined by a private, wholehearted, heart-on-fire pursuit of the living Christ. And while I'm here, I need to go ahead and accept that Jesus is saying, just eliminate all the distraction of thinking you've got to ask me a bunch of stuff. Instead, no, I've got the needs met. So now, come to me. Do we still give prayer requests? Yes. Do we still have burdens? Yes. Is there still a need to bring heaviness of heart to Jesus? Yes. But the motive of what leads us into that prayer closet is not all of those things. It's him. He's why we want to come to pray, not for what he can pass out. So when we show up with that, we we decide to run from this formulated spirituality to go rather into verse 6 of a private pursuit of prayer with Christ, knowing that our hearts can show up even if we're burdened and even if we've got all kinds of heaviness, we can have thanksgiving and gratitude because he knows what we have need before we even ask. So with all that being said, keep going. Look what's next. He says right here, there is something else. And it comes down wholeheartedly, what we actually need to deepen. What we need to deepen means there's something in the text that draws attention to some things that we want to honor and make sure it's rightly balanced in our life. He says right here in your Bible, in the Scriptures, look what he says here in verse 9. He says, In this manner, therefore, pray. After saying, verse 5 through 8, In this manner, Therefore, pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The very beginning of the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer is Jesus drawing attention to the very name that we are called by, saved by, healed by, helped by, led by. We could go on and on. He says, hallowed be your name name. That Hollywood is a word that is meaning to draw attention to reverence. Separating the name from what is common to what is holy. That's what it means. So when we come to the Lord God, when we pray in private pursuit of Him, with wholehearted devotion, crying out to Him, and even when we don't know what to say, be quiet and listen and know the Spirit of God is working on our behalf. Just seek Him. And when we begin to pray in this manner with gratitude and thanksgiving, what we deepen while we pray is the worship of the name of God. He wants us to know that this name signifies that we are his children. We are set apart. We belong to him. 
And when we bring God's name into praying, praying begins to take on a much more deeper fervency. And as that begins to happen, we see God showing up in amazing ways even as we pray. In Proverbs 18.10, the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Psalm 115.1, he says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. Let it be that in our prayer closets we call on the name that is above all names. That in our prayer closets we go deeper with God and call him in the sovereign way we need his help in our life, Elohim. That we go ahead to the plural form even of Elohim and call him Adonai. We continue to go forth and call him Yahweh, Jehovah God, Jehovah God, Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord that will provide. Jehovah Rapha, you are the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shalom, you are the Lord, our peace. We could go on and on. But in the prayer closet, we go deeper with the Father. We are not there for a quick popcorn prayer, throwing up something on the run so we can say we prayed. No, instead we are there to say, Father, I cannot even move a centimeter unless you are with me. I need you. Go with me, Lord. I have no power without your help today. I have all these plans, all these agendas, have all these things that I'd like to do and I plan to do, but Lord, none of it is possible unless the Lord wills it to happen. Rest in him. Call him by his name. Worship him in that manner. And he says here in the text as well, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This here is an indication of when we are praying, we want to go deeper. Listen, we really want to go deeper with the pursuit of God's kingdom. And what I'm talking about is that the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God represents the Lord's leading in all things. That right now we are living in a fallen, messed up world. And the kingdom of darkness is everywhere around us. And Satan is on the move trying to destroy people's lives and deceive. But the Christian has got the kingdom of Christ within them. We are living in his kingdom. His kingdom is going to be manifest. So he says here, your kingdom come. Jesus is wanting God's people as we pray to not forget about the value of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. That means today, whatever I'm doing, the kingdom of God is within me. I go forth and I represent Jesus Christ. If I'm going to the store, I bring the kingdom of God to the store. If I'm going to a conversation, the kingdom of God is here. If I'm going here, the point is, is that we are representatives of the kingdom of Christ. And so we want the kingdom of God to be as valuable to us in praying that we are asking for God's activity to be manifest. Lord, let me pursue your kingdom. Let me be more concerned about lost people being saved than I am what's new on my cell phone. Let me want you more than I want reputation. Let me see your kingdom come. Jesus, I want your kingdom to be revealed and manifested in every facet of my life. And as you pray, and I pray in that manner, we will find ourselves very sensitive to the kingdom work around us. 
But he also says that your will be done. Now listen, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. Wow, what a parallel. The will of God done perfectly in heaven. God, let it be done perfectly here. When we are praying in that manner, we are praying with a deeper worship of God's name and a pursuit of God's kingdom, but even so with a love for God's will. Psalm 40 and verse 8 says in the text, he says, or in the scriptures, he says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. When you and I begin to pray in this manner, we are deepening in our prayer life. We are basically saying, God, I am going before all the day today, and I love your will. I love the fact that even if I don't know what your answer is going to be, or I don't understand why this is being allowed to happen, I know your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I know that you are God who makes no mistakes. I know you are sovereign and in control. And as we begin to pray in the manner every day in that way, we find ourselves praying and saying, Lord, I love your will because your will means you don't fail. Your will means you've ordained it. Your will means no one can conquer you. No one can rival you. Your will is my way of saying I crucify my will that's messed up and flawed and I give myself over to yours. And that's that beauty that begins to come out of that. So as we begin to pray, we see what we are deciding to run from and run to. And full of thanksgiving in the prayer closet, it becomes the incense and the aroma of the room that we are full of different things we could ask, different requests we may have, different needs that are pressing. Those things are still there. But the... But the But the atmosphere of the time with God is more out of thanksgiving and now out of worship for his name, praising him for his great name and knowing that we are pursuing his kingdom and we are all about, God, what are you going to do with your will in my life? I trust you. I want to walk with you. I want to be like you. It's the will of God having preeminence over everything we do. It's so easy, isn't it, to have our own will? So easy. Very easy to be stubborn. It's very easy to be bent on what we think is best. But if we trust the sovereign will of God, fighting on our behalf, leading us, we find that his ways are perfect. Perfect. His timing is always right. Trust him in that. We know in the scriptures here that he says as well, in verse 11, this is the last area I want to cover here in the text, and I want you to see what he says. We see what we need to decide We see here what we need to deepen, but here is what we need to declare. What we need to declare in the text begins at verse 11 in your Bible. Look what he says. Give us this day our daily bread. Right away, right away what becomes evident here to you and I is this statement. Give us this day our daily bread. What we need to declare before the Lord is a contentment when there's actually less. When you and I come before the Father, we are able to say in agreement with what Jesus is teaching us, Lord, I can pray, give me the day, the daily bread. I don't have tomorrow, but I have right now. Lord, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I can trust you right now. So when we pray, it's very easy for us to be praying 10 years from now, one year from now, one week from now. But give us today what is sufficient. Give me today what is enough. Lord, what you call enough is enough for me if it's enough for you because you know better than I do. 
give us this day our daily bread. Contentment when there's less. What we declare in the prayer closet is needed because if we're not content, we will find ourselves complaining instead of being content. And when we begin to complain, we begin to look at everything that's wrong instead of by faith what is right. And when we focus on what is negative and wrong, that affects the dynamic of our relationship with the Father when we pray. But coming with gratitude and thanksgiving, coming with the fact that, Lord, you don't make any mistakes. My life's in your hand. You're leading me. I trust you in this. So, Lord, I will be content. So give me today what I need at work. Give me today what I need in parenting. Give me today what I need in this tough conversation I've got to have at 2 p.m. Lord, give me what is sufficient because I'll be content with whatever that looks like and you will be praised in my life. He says here, give us this day our daily bread and he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He goes on to say about forgiveness in verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When Jesus brings this up into our prayer, our time of prayer, is that sometimes when we pray, relationships get messy, life gets messy. And sometimes there are collisions in which we are going to need to apply and remember this. But isn't it interesting in the order, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He puts things in perspective. Lord, I have been forgiven of the greatest debt. You have forgiven me by the grace of God I've been saved. Now I can see clearly to remove the speck from my eye before I go looking in my brother's eye. I can see now, Lord, that as I have been forgiven... So I am capable to give forgiveness as you have forgiven me. In Ephesians 4 and 32, he says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We learn the value here of contentment when there's less and forgiveness when there's hurt. We are able to give it away because as we come to the prayer closet, we're able to be empowered by Christ and say, Lord, look how you have forgiven me and now I can forgive others. That is the way it works. But when someone struggles with bitterness and revenge and anger and unforgiveness, it's because they do not see the depth of the grace of God that has been forgiven of them. But once you see it, friend, you will want to forgive others. It's powerful. And when God takes over our hearts in prayer, that's what our prayer closets begin to be governed by. We began to be led by the Spirit to say, Lord, I, want to, I, want to for, I need to forgive what she did and what he said. I need to because you have forgiven me. He says in the text, verse 13, and it was even mentioned during our time of worship. Look what he says. He says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He says it. What Jesus is acknowledging is that he knows what it's like to have Satan breathing down your neck. He knows what we go through when we are tempted by Satan. He understands he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He gets it. So what he's telling us in the text is not to focus on the fact that Satan is going to bring spiritual attack against us and that he's going to bring attack. But instead he says in the text, Deliver us from the evil one. Let's not focus on the attack. Let's focus on the deliverance. When there is attack, 
And that's where Jesus is guiding us. When we pray, we are going to sometimes be in prayer in which we understand that, man, there has been great spiritual warfare. Amen? Times of which we know that there is attack on our family or on our faith. Times in our friendships, things that we know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against these other ways that Satan is bringing attack. He says here in the text, so we'll be encouraged when we pray, Lord, you have the deliverance. Lord, I don't have to fall victim. I am, full, I am, I am leaning on Christ and trusting in the word of Christ. And I'm going to walk through this temptation with your victory. We've had failures. We've made great mistakes. But when we have the victories, those are what we want to talk about, not the failures. We want to talk about what God's done, not where we fail. So where we are here is remembered even what Jesus told Peter in Luke 22. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. When you return to me, strengthen the brethren. Jesus knew that Peter would have a time of temptation, but he knew how to help him be delivered. And that's where we are today because victory is there for us. When there is temptation, there is victory. I love the way C.S. Lewis put the statement. He said, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it really is. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against the wind, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like one hour later. The victory is with Christ in the midst of our temptation. And where we are here in this time is just for you and I to just really collectively gather together what this all comes down to. The Lord's Prayer is not an itemization list that we are to check off in our prayer closet and say, did I say that? Did I say that? Did I say that? That's not the idea. The, I, the understanding of Jesus is he, he is giving us a deposit of a wealth of value that these things are indicators and point to the heart of God in these different concepts of our life. Where we are today is to say, you know what? I want to run from formulated spirituality. And right now, if that's where we are, let's just go ahead and just say it. If there's any of us in a time of which our prayer life is just not where it needs to be, not condemnation, not pointing fingers, this is not a time for that. This is a time to say, come on. Come on. I love you. Christ loves you. He loves us all. Let's, 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 let's get out of the rut. Let's get unstuck. Let's come back. And let's not make an excuse that would just say, you know, well, I, I just don't want to say that and then go back in the same. Let's declare as one voice and one anthem before the Father. We are a bunch of sheep and we're going nowhere without the shepherd. We just need him. This is not methodology. This is simplicity. This is just practical. Let's just go ahead and just say, if my prayer life has not been where it needs to be and I am just kind of stuck in that way, and I know that a lot of my praying is really rehearsed, I kind of know what to say, I think I do, sometimes I don't really pray much at all because I don't know what to say so I just choose not to pray we're given the enemy territory he has no right to have 
Jesus owns you. He owns me. He bought us with a price. He summons us to himself. Let's not make prayer something that it's not. Let's just go to the text as we've seen and let's practice this. Essentially, getting back into a prayer life that is balanced in this kind of way. Let's run from formulated spirituality. Privately pursue Christ. An atmosphere full of gratitude when there could be complaints. Just grateful and thank Him for everything He's doing, seen and unseen. Worship His name. Go deeper with His name. Come before His presence in that way. Seek Him for who He is and pursue His kingdom. Love His will. And you and I will find contentment. We'll be able to forgive. It will be able we will have access to Christ in the way that we want to forgive. And you and I will have temptations still waiting on us when we get out of the prayer closet, but we have the victory to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We can overcome because he's with us to the end of the age. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Christ, then the only prayer that you would want to be praying today is a prayer of repentance turning to Jesus Christ to believe his gospel that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead. Last Sunday, a sweet young lady named Addison gave her life to Christ after service. She believed the gospel and the gospel is still here now. And if you are lost without Christ, he wants to save you. Repent, turn from sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Know that he is your savior and Lord if you give your life to him. But for those of us that are here, that are already following Jesus. We just pretty much have that one question we want to ask. And that question is, if my life with the Father has been robbed from busyness, am I willing to slow down and to come back? Whoever we are, and whatever would need to happen, let not another time slip by that we say, well, maybe one day, But instead, let it be that we seize the moment with the breath God has put in our lungs to call on his name. And let's begin in that time of prayer now and say, Jesus, I'm coming back. Sincerely, with all my heart, I want to seek you. Not just everything that I want you to do, just you for who you are. Let's worship him in prayer even now. Father, you are good and glorious. You are sovereign in all your ways. And so, Lord, now we pray that your will is done even in these moments, that you reach every one of our hearts, and that we do not cast this aside lightly. But instead, Lord, we really seek your face now. So speak, Lord. Minister to our hearts. Our our hearts are willing and, and ready. We want to give you what you're worthy of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and let's worship him.